Hey, hey, hey! Here comes another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're going to zoom in on the Bundesliga's top team with one of their top fans. It's Eric Bruhl of the late, great Neverkusen podcast. Or did I count the podcast out too soon? No, I think you're well within your rights at this point to have counted it out, Matt. Yeah, happy to be here, though, to talk about Leverkusen, have another opportunity to look at what so far has been an unbelievable season, obviously. Oh, I'm believing it, and I hope I can believe for a while yet. We also got fan favorite, our man, <laughs> Nick Vildhagen, back on the show. Welcome back. Well, thanks, thanks. I mean, this weekend, I have to say, I mean, I won't be too specific on the match day action because I worship at the altars of the beer guts at uh, what's brewing here in Stavanger. But yeah, I've caught up as much as I could when it comes to Bundesliga action. Well, you know, I know from experience that when one's team loses on Friday night, sometimes yeah. it just it helps cut down on a certain level of interest for the rest of the weekend. Barley wine was good, though. <laughs> Some of the barley wines. <laughs> a couple of extra barley wines help wash down that loss on Friday night. We're going to be back in just a moment with all kinds of foosball talk. We'll also have a few bits that were going to take us pretty well off the pitch. Remember, you can get in touch with us anytime. You can just send us an email, podcast at talkingfoosball.com. We also love good reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you want to really help keep the show afloat, please support us on Patreon. we got lots of great timeless content over there that takes you through all six decades of Bundesliga history, including, in fact, the series that these two guys, Nick and Eric, have been cooking up, Torvat. All right, we're going to kick off talking foosball this week with, you know, probably the easiest place to start, the top of the table. I mentioned it at the top of the pod. Bayer Nulfir Leverkusen still riding high, all alone at the top of the Bundesliga. And, you know, I feel like the last few weeks were a bit of, I don't want to say necessarily a pleasure cruise for them, but it was one of your easier stretches. You had a few less intimidating sides. One was a local rival, granted Cologne, but you also had Mites. You had Heidenheim. I feel like this week, when they were put to a bit of a sterner test by uh, Fallofell Wolfsport, we learned a little bit more about them. They passed that test. It was a 2-1 win for Leverkusen in Wolfsburg. That was the first loss of the season for Wolfsburg. The game was, you know, tied up at the half, but Alejandro Gamaldo put Leverkusen up for good just after the hour mark. Lucas Radetzky made some pretty nice saves to maintain that lead. How did you like what you saw? Do you agree that this was sort of a, a nice bellwether for them? I think that's a great way to describe it, actually, Matt. I don't know that I liked what I saw during many stretches of the match because it was really one of those, you know, workers' victories, so to speak, as the Germans would say. And the Arbeitssieg. Exactly. But what is to really like about that is that is traditionally the kind of victory Leverkusen is not capable of, especially when they go somewhere unpleasant somewhere that Wolfsburg has traditionally kind of had Leverkusen's number when they're at home. And this was just a very wonderful example to kind of understand that the kind of mentality that Xavi Alonso is instilling in these players and how they've really taken to the kind of system that he's developed for them, how they don't panic when things don't go their way and how they continue to attack and defend in the manner that he wants them to. And 
you know, what I thought was interesting was both goals were scored by our you know, quote unquote fullbacks or more like wingbacks. And it's very clear that the team in every position is incredibly well set. The roster, at least the starting 11, and you could say the first 13 are just players that you'd want to bring in at any point in time. So a really dirty victory that couldn't have happened yesterday without Lucas Rudetsky, as you mentioned him. But yeah, one I think that Leverkusen can be really proud of and walk away with a really important three points. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, the first 11, first 13 is really, really well set and sort of they know how to, you know, play to each other's strengths. I mean, this was actually a pretty big off season of upheaval for Leverkusen. I mean, you had quite notably Musa Diaby leaving. That was really a key player for the last two or three seasons. But you also had a number of players who were not necessarily at the heart of the team, but players who had been there for some time, players like Karim Bellarabi or Kadim Dimmerbay. You had some players who, you know, had gotten there and had their moments, but had never quite found their feet. You know, maybe your Mitchell Bockers or the other Dutch guy whose name is escaping me at the moment. Sinkraven? Yeah, Daily Sinkraven, exactly. You know, plus, I mean, Patrick Schick hasn't even played all that big of a role thus far because of injury. I mean, this is not just a continuation of what was being built, you know, over the course of most of last season under Chabi Lonzo. This is a different side, a different squad. And are you surprised that it's all come together so quick? I think it's a testament to the scouting that Simon Rolfus and his department did to bring in the players that allowed it to be this seamless, almost a transition from last year. You're definitely right about some of the players who left. I just want to shout out Kareem Bellarabi, who's been my favorite player over the last decade. I saw you pounding your chest there. (laughs) It would mean something. Exactly. He probably stayed a year too long, but, you know, I was glad he could. But, you know, a Karem Demirbay, who was Bayer Leverkusen's most expensive player ever and really disappeared in big moments and just his consistency wasn't the same as it had been at Hoffenheim. You mentioned the two Dutch fullbacks. Bakker looked very promising his first season, but regressed and Sinkraven never felt like he was really part of this team. So I think they made some decisions there that, in kind of retrospect, were fairly simple to make. Diaby was maybe a little bit more difficult, but as wonderful as he is to watch, he's a very inefficient player. And this system cannot brook that. Like, you can get caught out too much. And I think Javi Alonso was fine with, you know, we're losing a very dynamic player, but... And I mean, oddly, you know, who's even coming off the bench, I think has done, you know, just as well, basically, in the um, time that he's been asked, in the minutes he's been asked. So you add to that a wonderful, uh, like I mentioned, Grimaldo, a wonderful get like Grimaldo. You bring in, I mean, Granit Xhaka to team with Ezekiel Palacios in the midfield, and all of a sudden you've got... You know, one of the toughest and most dangerous pivots, Palacios. I've been super impressed since the World Cup about how Palacios has developed his game. Really prior to this season and most of last, he was kind of just a midfield destroyer, but he's getting an eye for the ball, an eye for the pass. Dranachaka obviously allows him a little more freedom. And, and when you're talking about, you know, your second string in that position being Robert Andrish, German national team player now. Yeah, that's a formidable, formidable side. And we haven't even, you know, mentioned Florian Vietz, for example, or Victor Boniface, for that matter, who even when he's quiet, like he was 
this past Saturday, played such an important role in holding the ball up, assisted for the first goal. As big a tank and body as he is, he really somehow manages to exude a certain calm just with his physical presence. Uh, And yeah, all credit to Xavi Alonso to get this team to play the way they have so quickly, like you say. I want to draw you out a little bit because, you know, being a Leverkusen fan, as I think a lot of folks know, is in a lot of ways a great thing because this is a really well-run club that plays mostly attractive football and wins a lot, even if they don't win a lot of trophies. But that last little caveat, (laughs) embedded in there is a lot of hurt as well. So I first want to sort of allow you to feel your joy (laughs) and either what aspect of the sort of this great start or what player or what anything is sort of giving you the most excitement over the first you know couple of months of this season for me it's easily Jonas Hoffman I just thought that was the absolute best I guess best fit for this team that's a player of about five or six years ago I would have actually said from Borussia Mönchengladbach I really wanted Patrick Herrmann at the time I thought he would have been a really great fit for that team and in the same way I think Jonas Hoffman with his just intelligence with his experience and he is just so technically gifted in every facet of the game. And he's so intelligent. He's been an absolute delight to watch with Wirtz and just to watch him also with Boniface, you know, move with them and Frimpong's on his side. So it's like a, it's, you know, a massively dynamic side. And just that having that 31 year old who still plays at a level, maybe four years younger than he is, is huge. In my opinion, that's given me a lot of joy. Nice. Well, I mean, he is a player also who has had both some injuries and some times being, you know, out, not first choice at the teams he played on. So he's got a few less miles on his otometer. Good point. So maybe, maybe he'll last a little longer. Just to go on the other side, if there is a worry in your mind, and knowing Leverkusen fans, there has to be a worry in your mind. <laughs> is there an eventuality, whether that's a long-term injury or anything, that makes you feel like, uh, if that goes wrong, this could crumble away? In this immediate season, I'm not so sure that's the case. One of the things I was happiest about in this last match was how good Lucas Radetzky looked, because that's maybe the one position where we've been a little bit shaky, and he's sometimes a world-class shot stopper and sometimes, you know, just a baffling decision maker. But this last match really kind of showed his strengths, and hopefully that continues, because that might be the only position where we might tend to get a little bit sloppy. I think... Beyond this season, you know, Javi Alonso is up for grabs, probably. Real Madrid's going to come pretty hard if Leverkusen has a successful season. Other clubs might as well. So that's a concern even with the contract extension that he recently signed. But they'll be coming for players like Victor Boniface as well. I'm surprised Jeremy Frimpong is still on the team, to be honest with you. And I don't know for how much longer. My concern is... and. You know, this is, I think, every fan's concern when they have a strong team that if you don't take advantage of it this year, it might never look this good again. And it hasn't looked this good in, you know, we're talking about 20 years. Um, Who's to say it won't take another 20 for it to look this good? So you really do have to strike while the iron's hot, you know, to use a colloquialism. Well, considering Neverkusen, the name in some cases, drawing people back to that legendary season when... Leverkusen were able to, well, I'll just say it, piss away the Champions League, the league, and the cup. Hey, man, the treble is still on 
for your boys this season. Let's see the hope <laughs> last a little longer. I, before we leave Leverkusen totally to the side, I want you to talk just for a minute because I recently posted the first episode of Torvat, which starts, of course, with a certain Leverkusen goalkeeper. That's available on Patreon for uh, subscribers, by the way. You want to give uh, just a couple of words to uh, Rudia Fallborn and, and why you decided to go there with the beginning of the series, what he means to Leverkusen? And it's interesting that you asked that because recently, I can't remember if it was on Blue Sky or X formerly Twitter, there was a Leverkusen poll done by a fan about which player most embodies, you know, Leverkusen. When you think of Leverkusen, who do you think of? And there are, you know, the responses range from like a Baron Schneider. That's probably my response because that's who I really enjoy to a Rudiger Fulborn, who for those fans who might not be aware, is a long, long-serving goalie for Bayer Leverkusen, kind of during their pomp, helped them win a Deutsche Pokal and also the UEFA Cup. And he wasn't ever necessarily the most talented keeper, but he was really, you know, what the Germans call the, the club's identificationsfigur, like kind of who the, who people identified with at the club. And he's still involved in a big fan capacity. So he was instrumental in a lot of ways of just kind of bringing a face to Leverkusen, making them, you know, agreeable, a face beside, let's say, Reiner Kalmund, making them appear a little more, I don't know, down to earth. And he was also very much involved with some of the young goalies back in the 90s and 2000s and that came through the academy. Rene Adler is a really good example of someone that he took basically under his wing, letting him live with him and, you know, turned into arguably, you know, one of the best goalkeepers Germany's ever had, who was unfortunately, you know, laid low by injuries for the most part when it came to the national team. So he's an iconic person at the club and yeah, played long enough and played well enough, won enough trophies that I felt like he deserved a little spot in that roster. Excellent. Yeah. You boys have many more Torvat episodes to come. We'll be posting them periodically throughout the season. I'm excited to hear all of that. Let's move on to some other topics. Up at the top of the table, there is still a pretty tight cluster of teams. I mean, Leverkusen are by themselves on 22 points, but have uh, Stuttgart one point behind them. Stuttgart were 3-0 winners at Union Berlin. The nightmare season thus far for Union continues. Serhu Girassi scored a goal and then left the game injured, but that didn't really make a lot of difference in terms of the results. He has a torn muscle fiber. We'll see. How long he stays out could be a month or more. Two Bundesliga matches in a cup match is basically what uh, what the minimum amount of time off the pitch is going to be. So at least two matches in the Bundesliga, maybe even more. Yeah, only only the fourteen goals through you know eight matches. So you know he can't afford to miss many. No, no. I mean, you know, when we talked about him hitting like seventy goals per season. So um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> he got his work cut out for himself if he misses more than two matches. I think. It's going to put a dent in those plans, I'll admit. Also, we've got uh, Bayern and Dortmund, two points behind Leverkusen. Dortmund were 1-0 winners over Werder. We'll talk about that later, perhaps. Bayern were 3-1 winners in Mainz. You know, this is the Rekordmeister versus one of this season's you know worst teams. I mean, Mainz have basically looked out of sorts uh, all season in one way or another. So that result went more or less as expected. I guess the place that I want to go here is not exactly <laughs> a breakdown of Mainz versus Bayern, but I want to sort of talk about goings on at those two clubs this past week, which 
it's a tricky subject, but one that I think will get us to an interesting place of talking about German football and how it fits into German culture more broadly. You know, Anwar Al-Ghazi, this is a Mites player. He is uh, plays for Morocco internationally, although he was born and raised in the Netherlands. Made a social media post that was supporting Palestine in the current conflict engaged between, you know, Hamas and Israel or the Palestinian people in Israel, whichever way you want to look at it, ended up getting suspended. We'll talk about the substance of that post in just a moment and why it might be different than the way that some other players' uh, social media activities were perceived. Nusser Mazraoui of Bayern, also a Dutch Moroccan, made another social post, which basically just got him something of a talking to by the Bayern brass. Rami Bensabaini, a French-Algerian player, plays for Dortmund, wore a half-and-half scarf of Algeria and Palestine while on international duty this past week, also was asked simply to clarify his comments rather than take a hike. Nick, I guess I'll jump in with you. We have talked about this a little bit prior to starting. You think that there is really a a, a fundamental and substantive difference between the way that uh, Anwar al-Ghazi expressed himself regarding this issue and, and some of these other guys, and you understand why he got himself suspended why is that i mean his social media posts included the sentence from river to sea uh, palestine will be free and you know if, if you remove everything that's israeli from the river to the sea there's basically you know no israel left now it's a very very tricky subject this and i'm not going to bore you with my opinions about it because uh yeah, we, we'll be here all day. But I think, I mean, I, th- I think Al-Ghazi probably didn't know the sort of hornet's nest he was stepping into when he posted that on his social, because Germany and Israel do, historically speaking, that I mean, it's the, you know, there's historic reasons why Germans are very, very supportive of Israel. I mean, if you've picked up a history book in high school, you will know about that. I mean, I live in a country where the left is traditionally very, very supportive of the Palestinian fight for freedom. I mean, I've heard history professors when I was studying history saying that, you know, they say Israel is a liberal democracy, but it isn't. If you give one man one vote and would include the Palestinian population, Israel would cease to exist. That sort of thing you couldn't say at a German university. It wouldn't fly. But, you know, I mean, there's, there's even been periods in Norway where there basically has been academic bans on Israeli professors. They weren't invited to the country. So, I mean, that's not the case in Germany. <laughs> Germany has a very different sort of angle and a very sort of, you know, the German left is very supportive of Israel. And, uh, I mean, if, if you step a little bit outside and you see what's going on between St. Pauli and, the, the, you know, their national fan clubs, the German fan clubs, which are usually supportive of Israel, and the international fan clubs, who are usually supportive of Palestine, you see sort of like that culture clash as well that, you know, you find between the German left and the rest of the left side in Europe and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Eric, you were talking before we started our broadcast that, like, Basically, this doesn't feel simply like happenstance or like, you know, somebody stepping in something they didn't understand, although it is that. But it also feels a little bit like a missed opportunity or a sort of loss of having your sort of PR shit together on the part of clubs. I mean, you had some interesting stuff to say about that. 
Well, it's interesting too. I, I was reading an article where um, Al Ghazi's father actually mentioned that Mainz had asked him to film uh, an apology video, and he um, refused to do so. And that really kind of struck me as being very reactive to this whole situation. And it's really, you know, I know things are done differently in Germany. I know they're um, very likely done much differently, you know, athletic sporting clubs, like football clubs. But really, it's kind of, as you say, you need to control this message if you are the team. And the way you do that, the best way to do that is you respond immediately by getting in touch with those players like El Ghazi, who are personally or in any way affected by situations like this. And you bring them in immediately. You say, you know, we realize you're hurting. We realize, you know, the situation is, is, is difficult. You know, we want to speak with you and we want to work together to craft a message that we can feel good about putting out there. And it has to be done within really minutes of these events happening. If you are, as you say, on top of your PR shit, you have to be thinking of your players. You have to be thinking of your fans immediately and how you can, rather than letting people strike out on their own or waiting to deliver a message, bring everybody in, begin the discussion. So even if you're asked, do you have a message? You can say, we're working with such and such and such and such in order to come up with one that represents all of our ideals and all of our truths. And again, it's it's not how German football clubs necessarily work. But then, you know, I'm not a fan of this team. But then you look at the kind of statement that a St. Pauli is able to craft. And that one with, was thoughtful and pretty immediate, too. Well, I mean, St. Pauli is a highly political club. Right. And they still manage somehow not to really totally get drawn into the politics of it. They showed empathy to everyone. I thought that was really impressive. I mean, the strange thing is, I mean, again, I mean, the international fan clubs usually supportive of Palestine, the German fan clubs usually supportive of Israel. I mean, there have been instances where, you know, uh, the DJ at the Milan tour uh, played a, a raggy ska song in Spanish. And there was a line about Palestinian liberation in that song, which immediately drew a lot of criticism because a lot of some party fans obviously speak Spanish, because why wouldn't you? if you live in Hamburg. And that sort of thing goes to show that, I mean, several, a few international fan clubs have actually gone to the steps of dissolving themselves and, you know, breaking their association with St. Pauli over this issue. I mean, even that statement by St. Pauli, which sort of tried to include, you know, we are empathetic to both sides and we value human life first. I mean, even that didn't manage to, you know, to cool the minds because... The ongoing debate between fan clubs of, you know, from the German camp and the international camp, it has been getting harsher and harsher by the day. Uh, returning to the two players at hand, though, I mean, one last thing to consider and to, to keep in mind here is that both Bayern and Mainz have founding members who are Jewish. And that in itself means that the club and, you know, football fans and football clubs are very aware of the history in Germany. I mean, that, that in itself puts another dimension to the story on top of that as well, I suppose. Yeah, strange, strange bedfellows, strange irony that this all sort of blew up when it did. These two teams were playing each other. These two teams, as you said, founded by Jewish Germans. So, yes, hopefully, hopefully the somewhat dilatory and uh, somewhat, I don't know, hopefully productive talks that uh, these clubs have with their players result in much more positive messaging and positive empathy, as you said, Eric, moving forward. All right, we're going to take a short break and we will be back. 
Okay, here's part two of Talking Foosball. We'll kick things off a little bit with the Rhein Derby. That was uh, Cologne versus Borussia Mönchengladbach. Sorry, Eric, you're not a part of it. You're just not. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Cologne uh, have been down in the dumps this season. You know, one of those seasons that has not only caused a lot of headaches, but a lot of head scratching, considering that Cologne have not played all that poorly up until this point. And they finally played not only well, but winningly on Sunday, getting a 3-1 win over Gladbach. Any thoughts on the way that this game played out or the backdrop that was going on coming into this game? I think, I mean, only having seen highlights, I'm probably not the guy to ask about the entire game, but you know, I think if this game would have been lost, Stefan Baumgart would have started to be in trouble. Yeah. And this win probably buys him a couple more weeks or three or four weeks at Cologne. Because, I mean, going forward, they do have some tough matches coming up. I mean, they're only a couple of weeks away from their match against Bayern and some other really, really tough fixtures on their schedule going forward. So, yes, I think them sort of keeping touch with the, you know, the teams on six points, very important. I also have to wonder if... Perhaps, you know, Gerardo Ceilani is someone who needs to consider how safe and secure they are in their position. I have not had the chance to watch Gladbach that much this season, but I did watch this match and I've seen one or two others. And I, I got to say, I really have trouble recognizing a consistent system or strategy being played by Ceilani, but they look flat and disjointed and you know, they had opportunities in this match. That red card certainly in the second half certainly threw them off their game tremendously. But even prior to that, they had already looked worse than they had in the first half. And when it looked like they might be able to make something out of that match. And I mean, you're talking about an FC Cone who scored three goals and they don't have a striker. You know, you could really even speak of David Selkie doesn't score goals. He's not that, he's not that kind of player. <laughs> he has been one of Germany's leading non-scoring strikers for the last several seasons, I'll have you know. He's been not scoring goals for several teams. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy he is where he is. There's no question. But, uh, you know, they were certainly fortunate today that, uh, well, two goals were through penalties. One that was actually missed, and but retaken because Nicholas so from... Gladbach move. Uh, yeah, Nicholas is actually a great example of, I don't understand what's going on with Gladbach, he, you know, causes a penalty by literally punching Luka Waldschmidt in the face, missing the cross, flapping at it, basically, and then has the good fortune of, you know, the penalty being shot over, but he's moved too soon, so they get to do it again, and then Cologne score, and it, it's just... They shoot themselves in the foot, it seems like. And yeah, they should not be losing to a Cologne team. I realize they're away and it's never easy to play at Cone, but you got to come away with a point there. Quick sidebar, sort of maybe related to this game, maybe not. There were some VAR things in this game. I think that there was at least some talk going into the second half or going into the halftime that the first handball that was called for a penalty at least according to the commentator on the broadcast that I watched, uh, thought it was maybe a little bit uh, too close for comfort. VAR, always a subject of discussion. VAR, always a subject of maybe, maybe improvement if we can get to a point where people argue about it a little less or feel it's a bit more sensible. Germany cooking up another layer of complexity potentially with something called the VAR app. Apparently, certain aspects of the decision-making process are going to be broadcast 
something like live via an app that fans of the stadium can use? It's This sounds like just... I've been in a stadium in Germany. You can't use the internet there very well. It's, you know, either either the mobile network is totally overloaded or the Wi-Fi is crap. Like, just put it on the big board, guys. I mean, the thing is, the app is basically giving you a written explanation for why a decision has been made and in that fashion or why there hasn't been an intervention or whatever. So... I mean, immediately uh, when you see, uh, for instance, the uh, Grifo situation from the weekend where Grifo goes into uh, Bochum players, but it looked rather nasty. It looked really nasty. And I mean, I think it was Alex Feuerhardt, who is the official spokesperson for the referees from the DFB, who explained on Sky in Germany that referees or the VAR looks at the on-field decision and they take a closer look at where the foot hits the other foot. And since he hit it that low, it wasn't sort of like a obvious and clear error. And that means that you can give a yellow card, but you can also give a red card. So it's sort of like you can do both. And that's why the VAR didn't intervene. Bochum didn't quite agree with that interpretation. But anyways, that's the explanation you would have gotten on the app. Like moments later. I can't imagine how many phones are going to be thrown out on the pitch when people are reading through the explanations. <laughs> you got to get your burner before we go to the game. Do we want more people <laughs> on their phones sitting in the stands? I mean, it's sort of like when you go to concerts these days. Like it's oh, like, yeah. like I was at a concert on Friday. Half the people were filming it, and I was standing behind them. I could see what was on their screen. The video was crap. Why do you want to keep that? Yeah, I mean, we're here. We're there. We're alive. <laughs> I'm there. I cannot be more current than that. Yeah, I personally don't understand because they already have the sort of brief and not very detailed explanation that goes up on the big board in the stadium that lets you know what's happening. Like, what's wrong with using the big giant screen that everyone in the stadium can read because it's so big? The app idea strikes me as daft. I'm sorry. Yeah, but I mean, it's the DFB. Yeah. (laughs) Enough said. All right, let's move on to talk about your favorite subject, Nick, and and we'll we'll try to keep it brief. Um, This was regarding the coach of one SV Werder Bremen, Ole Werner. You think he might be in some trouble. This is a team that's, of course, had two wins, six losses on the season, three straight losses, including this 1-0 loss in Dortmund. Werder, 14th place. I mean, should we really be expecting a hell of a lot more out of this team? Um, well, maybe, maybe not. But, Especially um, after they sold their best goal scorer. Well, yes, but I mean, they got in Nobby Cater. They did get in some quality in the form of a new left back and a holding midfielder from Belgium. But I mean, if, if you look at the matches that they've played and the fashion in which some of them have been lost and the headlessness that have gone into it, I mean, like the match against Hoffenheim, for instance, perfect example, you get a 2-2 equalizer and what do you do? my word, what the hell was that? And then you lose against sites like Darmstadt 4-2, you lose against Heidenheim 4-2. Those are the newly promoted sites, and these are the bread and butter games for a club like Werder, if you want to end up around, you know, 14 or above. Because those are the matches where you got to take at least a point. Darmstadt, Heidenheim on the road. If you lose by big numbers... And, you know, I mean, in the match against Darmstadt, you were 4-0 down. My God. That is really concerning. And if you, you know, look at the, uh, you know, the entire year of 2023, you have to start to 
worry big time because honestly, look at the Rückrunde Wörter played. That was horrifyingly bad. Horrifyingly bad. I mean, they did all right in the first season back in the Bundesliga because they played a good Hinrunde, the Rückrunde was shit and, you know, they're continuing in the same vein now and, I mean, question is, is this coach running out of ideas? Is this coach, you know, maybe not reaching the players anymore? I mean, Aaron Dingchi sort of uh, let slip in an interview that Werner really never talked to him when he was at the club and that's why he left for Heidenheim. So, I mean... I don't think it's going to be happening in the next two or three match days. But if this trend continues for a lot longer, like going into the towards the winter break, I think I very well think that Werder might go to the untraditional step of you know sacking their coach. All right, that will definitely be a storyline to watch. Speaking of coaching changes, Augsburg already pulled the trigger this season. They, you know, moved on Enrico Massen over the international break. They have hired one. Yeah, why don't you do it for us, Mr. Scandinavian? Tell us, tell us how the echte Scandinavian way of talking about this guy's name. You know, I'm not a Dane, but, you know, I would uh, pronounce him Yes Torup. Yes Torup. 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 Okay, nice, nice. By the way, fun fact about him, he's played at KFC Erdingen. <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken Erdingen. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yes, Torup, very successful in game one for Augsburg. They were 5-2 winners over Heidenheim. You know, this is a guy I think we can put a little bit more hopes to than the usual uh, cast of German Bundesliga retread coaching characters. But thus far, his track record outside of Denmark, which... Granted, is great. He's won the league twice with Micheland and uh, FC Copenhagen. It's not really wonderful. He was mildly successful with both G- Ghent and Genk. Ooh. <laughs> you know, you know those two clubs that, that no one outside Belgium can tell apart. Any thoughts about what Augsburg's future might hold? I mean, there was a brief moment where we all thought that Enrico Massen might be up to something and, and sort of taking them out of a somewhat, I don't know, rusty gate sort of character but maybe 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 that was too much to ask i don't know i mean uh, it's um actually the other day i was just you know going over, over you know uh, some sort of like a transfer history and stuff like that and something i sort of like found out that augsburg has actually spent a lot of money over the years on you know some really sort of uh, pricey players like Pepe coming from the States for, was it 15 or 18 million euros? Yep. yep. And you have yep. the likes of like Nicholas, Nicholas Dorsch. And, you know, so, so there actually have been some sort of like fairly big size moves that have been made by Stefan Reuter during those days. And that in itself, when you look at that, you think, well, hang on, shouldn't they do better than, you know, playing shit football and, you know, finishing 13th every season? I mean, Augsburg are the team that nobody likes to watch, unless you're a big fan of theirs, come from Augsburg. Nobody likes to watch them because their football is boring. It's horrible to watch most of the time. And, you know, they just stick around and it annoys people. And turning that around, what do you think, Eric? Is a Dane going to do that? I mean, Cologne, they had some great experience hiring coaches who worked at FCK before they came to Germany. I think the most important thing is just to uh, have an immediate push and get an immediate effect from the trainer. And you can call this the, you know, the, the, that trainer bounce that, uh, that is so famous. But 
I watched a little bit of this match and I was impressed with how just at one point Augsburg just turned it on and it was lights out for Heidenheim. And if, you know, a trainer is able to do that in his first match for a team that really needs a, you know, swift kick, basically, that's a good start. I'm not very familiar with his pedigree or his track record, but I will say this, I was watching him on the touchline and he didn't look out of place. He did not look as though the moment was too big for him. And obviously you wouldn't want that, but yeah, he cuts a pretty okay figure on the sideline. So I think, you know, if this result is anything to go by, then um, that's a good start. That's for sure. I mean, if that's going to be the new standard of uh, what Augsburg games are going to be like, yeah, sign me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call me in. Yeah, I mean, they, as you say, Nick, are not necessarily widely known for their thrills. But I got to say, going 2-0 down inside of 20 minutes and then scoring five unanswered, that's pretty thrilling, dude. That's pretty all right. Sign me up. All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball. Great to see you, as always, Nick. Great to be back on. And, uh, yeah, talk to you in an extra couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, if uh, anybody... Want to do some quizzes on their phone? Download the FC Quiz app. I'm the guy who does all the questions about German football. There. Yep, yep. He is your complaint line. It's also great having you finally on the flagship show. It's great to pod with you, Eric. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, this, it's uh, been a long time coming uh, to have the opportunity to pod with you. And uh, yeah, and Nick, I can't think of uh, two better people to start the day off here in L.A. with. Oh my God. We do have a a truly a a time zone spanning podcast today. All right. Many thanks to our all-star producer, Aiden Rantoul. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.